for this wonderful opportunity that we have to come together around the table of his word. We are going to open our study with a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Father, we come with hearts prepared to receive from you. We ask that you would open the eyes of our understanding, that we may behold wonderful things in your word. We pray that you would write your word upon the tables of our hearts and our minds and help us to be doers of your word, that we might be changed, that we might be blessed and be used by you to become a blessing unto others. We thank you for perfecting what you have started in our lives for your glory and our own advancement. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, today we are going to continue to look at the topic of walking in the spirit. So this is going to be part two. And I'll quickly recap some of the key points of our last study. Uh, firstly, we saw last, the last time that we are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in us. Amen. Uh, scripture references for that uh, is 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. And then we also have 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9 that you know, pretty much tells us the same thing. So we see here that God wants to take up residence in each of us. And he sent the Holy Spirit to complete what the ministry of Jesus did uh, during the three years that he was uh, right here on the earth. So although Jesus uh, completed the perfect sacrifice on the cross, when he left the earth, the task of training his disciple was uh, far from complete. And so Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be with his disciples forever. Amen. So forever means that not only it's talking about that generation to whom, you know, he uh, taught, to whom which he taught, and, you know, the people who were with him, um, you know, during those three years, but also as we go from generation to generation, all those who uh, welcome him in their heart as Lord and Savior and follow him as his disciples, he promises to be with them forever. And this is how he was going to do it. In John chapter 14 and verse 16, Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Amen. So we see that the Holy Spirit is permanently called closely alongside each believer to provide coaching, direction, instruction, counsel, um, protection, and empowerment and in our life journey. And so we desperately really need the Holy Spirit actively involved in our lives. And if we attempt to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit, we do so really as orphans. 
And Jesus wanted to make sure that he would not leave us as often. And that is why he, the reason why he gave, he sent us the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the Holy Spirit um, has given to us by Jesus to meet our needs. Amen. And he is here. He's willing to do it. But we must welcome him. And we must acknowledge our dependency on him. So that's the first thing that we saw in our last lesson. The second point, important point uh, that we made is that Jesus Christ himself, who is the son of God, was totally dependent on the Holy Spirit, uh, who is the Holy the Spirit of the Father. Amen. Um, so everything about him, that is Jesus, from his conception to his resurrection was a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, we find out from scripture that Jesus was conceived by the Spirit when the Holy Spirit brooded upon Mary, amen, his mother. Secondly, the, you know, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit every moment, amen. And he was also empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is how, how he was able to carry out his earthly ministry. The Bible tells us that how Jesus Christ uh, was, uh, was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, that he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That's stated in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. Amen. So we see that not only was Jesus conceived by the Spirit, he was led by the Spirit, he was empowered by the Spirit, amen. He was taught by the Spirit and he obeyed the Spirit. Um, in John chapter five, uh, Jesus says that uh, when we look at verses 19 and 20, and then again, verse 30, Jesus makes this point that he cannot do anything on his own he can only do what he sees and hears the father doing. Amen. Hallelujah. So we, we see this God's will for us in giving us the Holy Spirit is so that we can walk in union with him. Amen. Um, the Bible tells us that he that is joined to the Lord is one. Amen. One spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 17. Uh, so if we are one with him, we are supposed to walk like him. And so the very will that God had for mankind when he created Adam and Eve, um, and when he said in, uh, at the very beginning there in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So we find out that this very will that he had then has not changed. What he intends for us now is that, you know, we should bear his image and likeness. So by walking in truth, as we are led by the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of the, the word, Jesus says, the word that I speak to you is spirit and it is life. That is in John 6, 63. So when we add up, take all these scriptures, we add them together, we find that, that when we walk in the spirit, 
Amen. We are led by the Holy Spirit. It means that we are walking in truth and we are remaining on the path of life, of light. It is then that we are being transformed more and more into Christ's image. Hallelujah. So that was the second um, main point that we made in our last study. Now, the third one, before we go on to today's lesson, um, is that we saw that developing God's character means walking in the spirit. That is that, you know, that we must completely surrender to his lordship. Amen. And we cannot hope to develop God's, God's character if we have our own agenda. So we are commanded in Galatians 5, verses uh, 16 and 17. And I'm going to read that passage there. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. It says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the, the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Amen. So the spirit has a way that it walks and the flesh has a way that is contrary to the spirit. Amen. And we are told to walk in the spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And this is possible because the believer, amen, has the spirit of God indwelling him and the spirit convicts him of sin. Amen. And the, the same Holy Spirit also, also empowers him to quit whatever lifestyle of sin that he has. You know, actually, we have to admit that we are not perfect. We are redeemed, hallelujah, we are born again, we have the spirit of God in us, but there are times that we do miss it, but we don't miss, we don't miss the mark on purpose, amen. We all miss it from time to time, and God has made provision for that. He says, when you sin, you repent, amen. You come clean before me and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God makes provision for that, knowing that we are being our, our soulish part, amen, by soulish, I mean the soul of man is, is being changed, hallelujah, is being renewed. And so there, he gives us room here for, for let's call them mistake rather than volitional sin. So yes, no one is perfect and we all miss it from time to time. But we, this is not uh, you know, some kind of uh, liberty that God gives us to go out and to sin. A Christian cannot um, you know, keep breaking the rules of God's kingdom and work iniquity and think that there are no consequences. Having such a mindset causes us to wonder, well, is the person truly born again? Because when you give your life to Christ, the idea is that you have pretty much come to the end of yourself and you realize that there is nothing good in me. And I really need to allow God to have his way in me. So wanting to break the rules 
on a regular basis and not think anything out of it implies that there is something that is very wrong there. So today's lesson, we are going to focus on God's requirement for every believer. That is our obedience to his word and his will, which is the only way that we are able to walk in the spirit. In other words, we are called to renounce the independent disposition and mindset of the carnal man, of the natural man. And we have to learn to rely on the ability that we have received from God to get rid of the flesh, to get rid of pride, to get rid of rebellion and completely surrender to his lordship. Hallelujah. Praise God. So now um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and turn to another passage of scripture, um, the book of Second Chronicles. We are going to look at verse 16. I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 16 and verse 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Hallelujah. So I'm going to stop there. Uh, we don't need the rest of the verse. This first part here. We see that the eyes of the Lord refer to the spirit of the Lord who is moving all over the whole earth, looking for a certain type of person that would follow him. In other words, that would love him, that would serve him. Amen. One whose heart is perfect toward God. That is what the perfect heart is. Amen. We just mentioned that there is no one perfect who walks the earth. The only one who was ever perfect was Jesus. However, we can have a perfect heart towards God in loving him and desiring to serve him and committing ourselves completely to this. So the desire to follow the Lord with a perfect heart really takes all that a person has to give. And even though the rewards are many, the idea of fighting spiritual battles is never easy. Um, regrettably, our basic problem as human beings is that we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We don't see our own value, the value that God has given to us. And, you know, consequently, we need to be renewed in the way that we see ourselves and to, to be able to see what God sees, hallelujah. And therefore being perfected in who we are, in other words, in our character and um, in what we do, which is the works you know, that we do, uh, means that we are going to become more like Christ if we allow ourselves to be perfected in those both areas, in our character and in our works. And the model that we have, the ultimate model, the one that we can follow 
is Jesus. And listen to what Jesus says of himself. He says, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees his father do. Amen. He says this in John chapter five and verse 19, that the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. And you see Jesus always maintained a perfect union with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, amen. He says, whatever things he sees the Father do, he does these things. So Jesus is never, was never and is never about, um, you know, glorifying himself. It was all about glorifying the Father, amen. And so he took his orders straight from God the Father, amen. It was never his own agenda. And so we see that God, um, you know, Jesus never allowed anything or anyone to pressure him into doing something. He never followed formulas because he was simply doing what he saw his father do. Uh, Remember in John chapter five, there is a story of the account of this um, man at the pool of Bethesda. And this man was infirm and needed healing. Well, we know that there are many more people who were around that pool because they were all waiting for an angel to come and stir the water so that the first one who would jump in would be healed. So there were many people to be healed. And as we read this account, we find out that Jesus healed just that one person at the pool. Why didn't he just, you know, make it such that he healed everyone? Because he did what his father told him to do. Amen. He followed his instructions of his father. He did not rush to Lazarus's bedside when he learned of Lazarus's sickness, but he waited two more days before going, at which point Lazarus had already died. Now, why did he wait those two days? Same answer. He was just following instructions. Hallelujah. And Again, if we have read um, the, the, the account in the book of Acts of this man who always, lame man, who was always brought in front of the temple, um, he was crippled from birth. And so he had never walked. And every day they just brought him in front of that temple and that man was uh, asking for arms. And, you know, if we think, a little bit, we realize that this is the same temple where Jesus was going all the time. And so obviously Jesus saw him there too. Why was it that he wasn't healed by Jesus then? But we do see that it was God's will to heal this man because later on, God used Peter and John to work out that miracle where where the man was freed from his his infirmity. 
Hallelujah. So God is truly a God of purpose. And he wants his children to follow and serve him the same way Jesus did. He desires for us to come to a place where we will only do what we see him do. Amen. How do we see him do? By the spirit. Hallelujah. How do we hear his voice? By the spirit. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Praise God. That that I believe is in John 10 and verse 27. That my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So if we are to follow, it means that he is leading. He leads, we follow. And it cannot be the other way around. We don't make our own plans. Um, Even in our service to God, because sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, this is, you know, I'm doing God's work. This is the work of the ministry. And therefore, you know, we justify our own plans rather than wait on the Holy Spirit to direct us. Amen. And so, um, you know, oftentimes we find that we make our own plans and uh, pray that God will put his stamp of approval on them. That is wrong. Our calling is to walk in the spirit. That is to position ourselves to receive insight from God, wisdom from God, direction from the Lord, and be empowered to follow through. If we truly receive that insight, there is grace, there is power in what God deposits in our spirit to cause us to be able to rise up and follow. Hallelujah, follow through. And this is what um, the Bible calls to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Amen. You see, there is no in-between there. We are either being wise or we are, we are foolish. And Ephesians 5 and verse 15 says that we are to walk circumspectly, amen, and to be wise rather than to be foolish. So becoming a disciple of Jesus means that we are to really say goodbye to everything on which we would normally depend, amen. Um, you see, we, God is not telling us to say, you know, just leave everything behind. Uh, but the things that we would normally depend on, that we've become dependent on, thinking that we can't live without those things, in, you know, these natural things in life. The Lord for, and an example of that, for example, would be um, our family, our friends, our money, our career or uh, worldly honor and prestige and our independent way of thinking. And, you know, God wants us to say goodbye to all of that. And if we truly renounce these things in our heart, in other words, that they are no longer our number one priority, what's going to happen is that God will return to us any, any of them that fits in with his purpose 
for our life. Amen. And so in this case, we are no longer possessors of these things. And we start seeing ourselves merely, uh, uh, you know, stewards, people who are required to give an account of the use we make of what God has given to us. You see, there is that, that, that's a change there. There's a shift in mentality. We are not possessors. We are stewards of these things. And we recognize that God has given them to us and that we are to use them in a way that pleases God. Hallelujah. And so our dependence becomes solely on God. Amen. So consequently, in our struggle to renounce that independent disposition um, and that mindset of the natural man or the carnal man, we have to recognize the root cause of it. And the root cause is pride. And we know that pride always leads to disobedience or rebellion. So the first thing that we need to do is to make up our mind to surrender completely to God and to determine that there are certain things that we should never yield to. Amen. You know, uh, James chapter four and verse seven calls us to submit ourselves to God, to resist the devil and he will flee from us. Amen. First thing is to submit ourselves to God. Amen. And when we do, then we can effectively resist the devil and then he will free from us. Amen. And furthermore, we are told, um, if we are to look at, actually, we're going to do that. Uh, Romans, uh, let's turn to Romans chapter six. We're going to read from verse 11 to verse 14. Romans 6, verse 11 to verse 14. Um, it says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law, but under grace. Hallelujah. Praise God. So you see, we are called here, amen, to yield our members as instruments unto God. Hallelujah. Unto righteousness. And to walk away from sin because Sin no longer has dominion over us. We are under grace and we should not allow 
ourselves to be put under the yoke, that yoke of bondage anymore, to be under the dominion of sin. So there is really, there are two ways. There is the world's way and there is God's way. And we have a choice. Are we going to see things from the world's perspective or from God's perspective? Hallelujah. You know, the Bible tells us that when we do all things according to God's will, amen, that he makes things, all things work for our good, amen. Actually, Romans 8 and verse 28 says this, but you see there is something that precedes verse 28, amen, uh, and the thought there is that we having prayed according to God's will, then verse Romans 8 verse 28 says, and we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God and to them that are the called according to his purpose. Amen. So according to this scripture, if, and you see, I repeat the word again, if we do things God's way, he can make all things work together for our good. Uh, although we all have different circumstances to deal with on a regular basis, but we don't have to fear. We don't have to worry. The Bible says that God is able to make a way for us, amen, uh, with anything that comes against us. In First uh, Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, this is what he says. He says, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to men, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it, amen. The word temptation here isn't just talking about, you know, the temptation to want to do wrong or the temptation to sin. It's talking about anything that may come, that, that is not God's will that comes against us, amen. So whether or not the enemy is trying to tempt us in our mind to sin, or he brings something against us from the outside rather than attacking us from the inside, God is well able to make a way for us. Amen. There is no temptation, no trial, no nothing that is that God cannot deliver us from. And let's remember that Satan does not have different tricks that he uses on different people. He's the same devil. He has the same bag of tricks. All he does is he packages it different ways because he knows he's been looking around. He's very, a very intelligent being. He's been observing us. He knows our weak spots and he knows what, what makes us tick. And so he will package it in a way that, you know, he knows that we will be somehow tempted to uh, rather than act spiritually, we will act on the carnal side. This is all that he wants to get our attention and get our cooperation. Though sometimes we may not even realize that this is what he's doing, that this is the game that he's playing. You know, when, when the Bible says in uh, James chapter one and verse 14, that Lust, when it conceives, brings forth 
sin, we often think of sin as things like adultery, um, uh, murder, robbery, and so forth. And yes, those things are sin, but how about unbelief? How about discouragement? How about depression? All of these things are sin. Unforgiveness is sin. The meaning of sin is to miss the mark. Um, and this, in other words, we are doing, or we are caught in a situation where this is not what God intended for us. And the only way to counteract that sin is by standing on the word of God in faith and to think spiritually, amen? Not carnally, but spiritually, hallelujah. Uh, again, you know, looking at unbelief, um, fear, unforgiveness, discouragement, depression, they are conceived, conceived by our mind and then in our emotions. And the emotions that you know, we receive makes us feel a certain way. Whatever information that we receive in our mind, it makes us feel a certain way. And if we refuse to give place to fear, notice that if, number one, and secondly, we refuse. In other words, if we have to take a position against these things. So if you refuse to give place to self-pity, uh, to anger, to hurt, to bitterness, to fear, we will not conceive the failure that these things breed because they come you know, very well packaged with an agenda attached to them. It's like a bait, the bait of Satan. He throws the bait and if we get it, then the, 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 the hook, you know, is on our jaw and he can, he can reel us in the same way that you can reel a fish in when you throw the bait and he gets, you know, he takes that bait, amen. And so um, if we give God's word first place and our mind is stayed on him, no matter what, um, the power of the word will keep us in perfect peace. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter. God, you know, the world doesn't give us peace and does not have peace, that true peace that it can offer us. And therefore it doesn't have the power to take away what God gives us. And if we truly receive his peace, there is a way to maintain that peace. It is to place our mind stayed, I mean, fixed on the word and keep it there. Hallelujah. No matter what is happening around us. Praise God. You know, there are circumstances and situations that occur in our lives which are only resolved when we learn to yield to God. And there is also a place that we eventually come to in Christ when we have come to the end of what we can do. And it's a good thing for us for, to get to that place because it is then that we truly realize how powerless we are without him. It has nothing to do with our carnal ability, education, 
our profession, even our calling in ministry, which is given to us by God. All these things that we may have. You know, we cannot, we, we are going to come if we don't totally rely on the Lord to a place where we can do no more. And what we have to see is that we must be thankful when this happened because it's a place of divine appointment. It's a place where God can teach us, where we actually see, we recognize our vulnerability and we are allowed, we are allowing then God to become God in his temple. Amen. But regrettably, many people either they refuse to recognize that or for whatever reason, they are bamboozled enough by the enemy that they don't recognize it. And, you know, we are instructed by God that we are first to seek his kingdom and his righteousness and whatever else we need will be added unto us. And so whatever we had in mind um, that would make us feel um, like, you know, that would make us feel important in this life, uh, allowing ourselves to live by the status quo, by the, the, the standards of our, of our times, all these things cannot do anything for us. And we need to come to that place where we recognize this and that as Christians, our first motive is to please God in all that we do. First of all, in all that we are in terms of character and secondly, in all that we do. And that itself will produce a life that is different from the world, that is from the unbelievers, amen. Uh, I know that most of us have <clears throat> read at some point um, the, 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 the passage there on love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Well, I'm going to uh, read from that passage. Uh, we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 7. Um, it, and it reads, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, the word for charity here is love. Amen. What we you normally call love is charity, um, which is again translated in the Greek is the word agape, which means a perfect love. Amen. Uh, which only God can offer. Um, it says, let's go ahead and read again. Though I speak with the, the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass, brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, 
does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, and is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Hallelujah. Praise God. This is how love operates. This is what it does and what it does not do. We are told in these verses, hallelujah. This is a whole pot full. Amen. Not just, it's not a cup full, it's a whole pot full, and we cannot dissect this right now. Uh, we, don't, we have too little time. However, if our heart is truly after God, we would be willing to follow God's instructions. Amen. And do we start by doing that? By allowing ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That this is what the Lord tells us actually in Romans chapter, um, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, that we are to allow ourselves to be transformed, our mind to be transformed, hallelujah, through the word of God. But in order to do that, he starts by saying in verse one, he says, I beseech you, brethren, therefore, I'm sorry, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Praise God. So notice that it's not too much for us. It's reasonable for God to ask that of us, that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto him. And then as once we've, we've taken the decision to offer ourselves, then it's going to be easy to be con not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the re renewing of our mind so that we are able to prove what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. But notice, in order for that to happen, there has to be a yielding. The yielding to God and for us to accept to become a living sacrifice. Amen. So we have to always examine what the word of God tells us. We have to count the cost and then make up our mind rather than just jump in. And when the pressure gets too much, the warfare gets too much, then we want out. We never put our hand to the plow and turn back. The word of God tells us, amen. True disciples are going for the long haul. The, the, the race is never to the swift, but for to those who know how to endure. Hallelujah. Praise God. And one last passage that I would like to read in, um, along those lines is um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, which says, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh 
by love. Hallelujah. Our faith must work by love. So it is love being made effective as we submit to the spirit of obedience and our transformation into Christ's image. Amen. So anything that is effective, that is acceptable to God, begins with not pleasing ourselves. And the very first thing we have to do is to learn to deny ourselves. That's the, the entrance, amen, the door of entrance into being living sacrifices. Learn to deny ourselves. Romans 15.1 says that we ought not to please ourselves. Hallelujah. We have to say no and keep on saying no to our flesh, uh, to our ego, which is trying always to rise up, that always wants its own way, that has its own attitude, that always, you know, the, the, the wants or wishes or feels or think. And, you know, so for many of us in the body of Christ, that hasn't changed. It has to be about us, about the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, what I think, what I like, you know. Well, we cannot be self-pleasers and Christ-pleasers. It's impossible. And, you know, God has good things for us. Amen. And he wants us to partake of all these good things. But there is a way for us to achieve what God has for us. And the first step is to learn to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily and to follow him. Amen. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 tells us that. That Jesus himself said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Again, we repeat daily underlining the word daily, amen, and follow him. And so, um, you know, every day presents, and, you know, each, every believer has an opportunity to take up his cross. And if we use that opportunity well, then we can have wonderful days, victorious days. But if we don't, then we've entered into battles between the flesh and the spirit, between pride versus humility, amen. And, um, you know, when issues arise in our lives, trusting God and what he has done instead of ourselves and what we think we can make happen, um, then we enter into this arena of hum humility that God is looking for versus, um, you know, trusting in ourselves, uh, thinking that uh, there are things that we can make happen independent of God. In other words, we are self-reliant. Amen. You see, we need to realize that 
we, you know, being God-centered is what the Christian life is all about. God centers, centered, hallelujah. Uh, the world is self-centered. So God is teaching us in denying the flesh, in crucifying the flesh, we are learning what true humility is all about. And we are then able to put our confidence in him, not clinging to our own opinion of ourselves. Neither, you know, whether it is exalting ourselves or debasing ourselves, the enemy can, you know, take advantage of us in both ways. There are people who refuse to believe who God says, you know, he, that we are because they can never believe that a human being can be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So they want to make themselves, belittle themselves and feel like I'm a little nothing. And therefore uh, that's how I'm taking up my cross. Well, no, this is actually against God's, you know, the Bible's teaching. It, it is against God's word. So whichever way it is, if whatever God says concerning us is what we have to receive as the word of God, the word that is truth. And if it declares us victorious, we are victorious. If we are his righteousness, then we are his righteousness. If we are healed, the Bible tells us, then we are healed. But at the same time, it is also accepting that we are to take up our cross and following him and to avoid to being self-centered. Hallelujah. And so, um, you know, Jesus, if we are to follow Jesus as our example and model, we see that he voluntarily laid down his own life. Um, and we have to do the same as well, voluntarily be willing to lay down our, our flesh. Amen. Um, and you know, we ought to get rid. The Bible tells us that we are to get rid of the old man and put on the new man. God is not going to do it for us. He wants us to do it. Why? Because the spirit of God dwells in us and has given us the discernment, the understanding, the wisdom, and the empowerment, the grace to do so. So we are called to put off the old man with his deeds and to put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. Notice that, it, the, you know, we are renewed in knowledge. This new man must be renewed in knowledge. Where does the knowledge come from? From the word of God. When we spend time in the word, we allow God to download the revelation of his word in our spirit. And so we are renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created us. And this is stated in Colossians chapter three, verses nine and 10, that we are to put off the old man with his deeds and to put on the new man. Colossians chapter three, verses nine and 10, hallelujah. So this is possible for every born again believer, hallelujah. And we ought to look at every opportunity that God has given us um, as 
you know, to humble ourselves as, you know, something that is good for us where we are learning God's ways and not as a disaster. Amen. And so you see, our mindset is so important, how we view things, our perspective. Hallelujah. Each one of us is engaged in a spiritual battle between God's forces and the forces of of our enemy, which is the devil. And don't forget, we saw earlier that the Holy Spirit is going to and fro in the earth. Hallelujah. What is he doing? Looking for one whose heart is perfect towards God. One who wants to love God, who wants to serve God. Hallelujah. And whenever the Holy Spirit finds such a person uh, or this character in in, in in a child of God, then what does he do? He delights to show himself strong in that person's behalf, openly manifesting his power, his approval in that person's life. Amen. And the Bible tells us that Abraham was that kind of person, that he had such a heart. Amen. And that he accepted the challenges uh, facing him and reached uh, the, the high point of spiritual growth. Hallelujah. Uh, notice in James chapter 2 and verse 23, we are told that um, Abraham believed God. Hallelujah. And it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Praise God. Hallelujah. And, you know, we have received from God all that we need as believers for life and for godliness. Amen. And so we can have a right attitude toward God and a right attitude toward what is evil. And, you know, we, ha- we, we, we can come to that place where we don't compromise with anything that is unpleasing to him. And therefore, we have to be absolutely committed to obedience, no matter what it costs. Hallelujah. It does cost us something to be approved. Hallelujah. But nothing that is worth holding on to. Because whatever we really need, God will make sure we have. Hallelujah. And I think that we agree that, you know, with every passing day, we are drawing nearer and nearer to uh, what we would call the the return of the Lord or to to a completion of, uh, of God's purpose for mankind. And the message hasn't changed. Notice that when Abraham was 99 years old, although he was, we just saw that he was called a friend of God. In Genesis chapter 17 and verse one, God appeared to him and said to him, walk before me and be perfect. Hallelujah. He said, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be perfect. And we can't make light, make light of these words. And this is, this is how we are going to fulfill our roles um, in the spiritual battles 
of the day-to-day trials uh, now and even greater battles that are to come. You know, we are living in very perilous times. Amen. There is darkness upon the face of the earth. Amen. That darkness is increasing. And though that darkness is increasing, we see that God's specific purpose for which he is directing everything in our lives is so that we can be conformed to the image of his son. Hallelujah. While the darkness is increasing, the Lord is telling us, arise and shine. Hallelujah. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Praise God. Amen. You know, we cannot be like the prodigal son who, because he did not understand the value that his father, you know, uh, had, uh, you know, that he held in his father's eyes, he went for out and he wasted everything that he had. He had, he wasted a vast fortune. He wasted his entire inheritance for something of incomparable less value. And what I mean by that is, as Christians, we find ourselves compromising many times with things that we have no business getting into because they are so far below what God has placed in us, this treasure that he has deposited in our earthen vessels. And so you find believers engaging in things such as um, accusations, uh, gossip, um, things that hinder or wound others. Um, They engage in sexual promiscuity, in substance abuse, um, you know, laziness, passivity, or, you know, financial schemes, crooked financial schemes, all these things that are of the realm of darkness. And God, yes, does want us to prosper. He says that he wishes above all things that we may prosper and be in health as even as our soul prospers. Hallelujah. But that doesn't mean that we have to go outside of God's ways and will and to try to take on things that we have no business taking on. You know, many times we, we just think that we just have to grab something otherwise, otherwise we will never get the opportunity to get this thing again. Well, if it's God's will for us to be blessed, he will make it happen in his own way. Uh, In Christianity, everything has to do with the heart. What is our heart motive? You know, the scripture declares that we will all stand before God one day to give an account of our works and the motives behind them. Sometimes we forget this, that the motives are gonna be tested as well. So that's why sometimes you find people who are involved in many activities that all look good on the first surface or actually may even be good in themselves, but the purpose for which they are doing it has nothing to do with what God is calling them to. And 
James, in the book of James, James chapter four and verse three, he says that for many Christians, they are asking and not receiving. He says, because you're asking amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Amen. And so our strength is not what we have um, or, you know, what we can demonstrate. Our strength is in humbling ourselves before God and in the ability that we have to put others first. Hallelujah. Uh, to bear the infirmities of the weak, to let our love be effective as Jesus's was and as it is still and it ever will be. Uh, and to close out, let me just say this, that the word of God tells us that in Philippians chapter two and verse six, that Jesus was entitled to equality with God by his divine nature and by divine right. But we are told that he did not grasp it. He did not consider it something that he must hold on to. Amen. On the other hand, we know that our enemy, who, whose name was Lucifer and became Satan, was not entitled to equality with God, but he did snatch it and he fell. So it's clear evidence that it is our job to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of the Lord. And it is his job to exalt us in his own time. Hallelujah, which is what 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 tells us. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that you may be exalted into time. Hallelujah. So in conclusion, again, remember Galatians 5, 16, which tells us that we are to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh, but rather, this is what we're supposed to work towards as children of God, to develop the fruit of the spirit, which is stated in Galatians chapter five, verses 22 to 25. And I'm going to read that passage as we close. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And again, as I've mentioned this in our previous study, when as believers, we enter the area of walking in the spirit where we can crucify our flesh and put it under the dominion of our spirit, who is 
run or led by the Holy Spirit, then we truly begin to know what peace is all about. And peace is a word that in Hebrew, it's shalom. That means to be, to, to have everything in order, nothing lacking, nothing missing, nothing out of order. Hallelujah. And when we come to that place where we are spiritually minded, we truly understand what it means that this, to, for the spiritually minded, there is life and there is peace. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word of exhortation and instruction to us today. Your word does not just tell us to lay aside sin or to shape up and to be holy, but it also tells us how we are supposed to do that, which is to look to Jesus in order to get rid of sin and to walk in the spirit. So today we come to you, Lord Jesus, knowing that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. We thank you for the confidence that as we crucify the flesh and yield ourselves to you wholeheartedly and completely, that you are faithful to complete in us what you have started. Lord, we set ourselves to learn and live the realities of this new life that we have in you. As you reveal these realities to us. And Father, we thank you for the grace to stay honest and sensitive to your love and your word that is able to build us up and give us an inheritance among them that are sanctified. We give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise for working in us and through us to glorify your holy name in Jesus' mighty name. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our savior, be glory and majesty dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to having you again next week at the same time.